to be with you today. Go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, my name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team, and uh, I do want to welcome you, especially if this is your first time. Welcome uh, to this place. Welcome to this worship experience on the journey together. Uh, if you're watching online, we have uh, hundreds that do weekly. We're excited about that group as well, and welcome you. Um, I just want to say that I'm pretty fantastically excited to find out that we've almost tied a record of the most consecutive days without rain in Seattle. Is that not exciting? Oh, I love it. I love it, I love it, and I promise you, Jesus, I won't get depressed when it does rain, but I, I just very, very thankful, and since it's been sunny, I want to just, you know, be grateful to the Lord for making it just that much more like Southern California. Um, and uh, what I do want to say is it really has been an exciting season at Overlake. It's going to continue. Last week, we had our celebration service together. We did baptisms. We did barbecue. It was so, so fun to be with the family. It just, I love you guys so much. And then today, we're opening our student room. It's absolutely redone. It's so great. And they're celebrating with, they've been, we've been praying for 50 baptisms today. So that's happening after the service. Very, very excited about that. We're relaunching life groups, and so you did see the scarves everywhere, and the conversations are happening everywhere, and we definitely want to get you plugged into a life group if you're not in a life group. So lots of incredible things happening, so much joy, so much fun, just really, really excited about really the move of God uh, at this season. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Overlake. We're just very, very, um, can you tell? I'm excited. Okay. Here's what I'd like for you to do. Grab your notes out of your handout. And as you grab your notes out of your handout, you take a look at the title of today's message. It's The Good News About Sin. And you realize, oh, this is a message about sin. And so I just want to give you sort of the caveat, the out, right at the front end. If you're here and you don't sin, like you're, you've never sinned, you're perfect, you can be excused. Because... Uh, because this message would not be for you, although if you are perfect, uh, you'll probably want to sit and listen politely because of your perfection. So, um, but anyway, I just want you to know, this is a message for those of us, you know, mere mortals in a fallen reality who, who do find themselves from time to time getting tripped up by sin. And, and, and these are some truths that I've been wrestling with for a while Part of the problem, you gave me a few months where I wasn't preaching, and so I've got a lot of words. So I've got a lot of words on a lot of issues, and, and uh, one of the things I was thinking about, and you know this if, if you know me, so, so I'm a pastor, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus, sincere affection for the Lord and following him, but I often stumble, trip up, my, my sin, my shortcomings frustrate me greatly, and I know they grieve God. And so I, I, these thoughts I want to share are biblical, but yet they're also shared from sort of the inside of a journeyman's reality to sanctification. And I know that's kind of where we all are in this spectrum of faith. We're all on that journey person's uh, experience toward and in sanctification. And, and so I just, I want you to understand these, these are real. I'm trying to be authentic as I share, not dogmatic, but rather these are practically speaking how these truths unfold in my life. We're talking about sin, so I want you to understand 
what I'm talking about. You can write this down in the margin somewhere. Sin is everything we need to be saved from. It's everything we need to be saved from. That's, that's one part of it. Another part of it is sin is anything that keeps us from being everything that God designed us to be. So sin's what we need to be saved from, and it can be anything that prevents us from being everything God designed us to be. And I just want to begin by saying every human being that has ever lived in their heart of hearts clamors for two realities personally. Even if you've never phrased it like this, think about how this resonates deep in your heart. We clamor for forgiveness, for grace. Just deep within us. We just are longing to know, is it gonna be okay? Uh, Am I... Is there a possibility that I can be loved? Even knowing what I know about myself, can I be loved? Can I have an experience of grace, right? Forgiveness, we long for it. Second reality is goodness. there's There's this free and alive and abundant life that all of us long to live totally untainted and unburdened by guilt or shame. We all long to live that life of goodness, and we all long to experience that kind of grace. Now, here's the good news about your God, okay? God has said, I see your need, and to provide grace, I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, who will purchase grace for you on the cross of Calvary. He will be the one who models forgiveness and then provides forgiveness for everyone, no matter what. Second, God says, you're yearning for goodness, for abundance, for freedom, for life. I will send my spirit to dwell in your life, in this temple, housing the Spirit of God so that you can actually live that free and full life that God has created us and called us to live. That's how good God is. God says, I see your deep needs and I will provide my son for forgiveness, my spirit for your holiness. So it's amazing. It's so beautiful. And there are many, many verses that we could talk about sort of the good news about sin. How it is that God sees us in our sin, but yet meets us, loves us, graces us, regardless of where it is that we've come from, regardless of how soiled our paths have become. I want to tell you the kind of pastor I am is that I want to encourage you in your journey. There are many churches around here who you could go there, even in the nation, you could listen to podcasts. I mean, there are all kinds of teaching that you could come under that would smack you on the head with a newspaper every single week and say, bad dog, bad dog, bad dog. I'm not that kind of guy. So what I want to draw your attention to is the amount of hope and help that's available for all of us in the scripture. The first verse I want to point you to is in the Psalm, Psalm 130, verse 3. It just says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? The implication is all of us are guilty. If God's counting our sins, we're all toast. But the good news is he's not. 
That's not the kind of God he is. He's a good and a gracious and a compassionate God. And so we simply recognize that's the God we have. That's the good news. He's met our deepest needs. Here's our problem. Even after we come to a relationship with God through our faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm assuming many of us, we've already placed our trust in Christ. The problem is you look at your life and you still see that it, it can be tangled up with sin. You still see that there can be these areas in your life, almost like knotted uh, Christmas lights, right? Think about that. You pull the Christmas lights out of the box, and they're just all in a snarl. And the first thing you do is you plug it in to see if they still work. And so some of us as Christians, we're like that tangled up Christmas lights. You plug it into Jesus, and yes, they're all lit. It's very beautiful how they're all lit. Unfortunately, it's all knotted up, right? And that's how some of us experience our life. We're, yes, we're saved, but there's still all of this tangle. Unfortunately, because we're so complex in this fallen reality, we have built our history and our personality often on sin. Sometimes our deepest friendships in life are built on sin. And what's troubling about that is that foundation needs to be swapped out with the foundation of love and grace in Christ, but that foundation swapping sometimes takes a long time. And so we find ourselves, and we don't even understand it sometimes. We're looking back on our our life, we're longing, we get nostalgic about sin, right? We want to get back into it, and and it it doesn't make any sense. It's almost like, you know, um, an old girlfriend, right? You forget about all of the bad stuff in the relationship. You forget about all of the the pouting and the manipulation and the degradation and the self-loathing and and all you think about is, oh, she was kind of cute. And, and, you know, and, and you long to go back to something that you even know was painful for you. We're, we're complex and, and we're a mess. I'll, I'll give you a reality, and this is not a funny example, but you can see how it's true that That psychologists tell us that those who experience physical abuse in their home as children will often grow up and marry a spouse that's a physical abuser. It's it's like as humans, we we set a default for ourselves. And the default that we set has to do with sin. And so we'll even go back to the places that caused us harm and pain. Places that in our, in our sort of right mind and right thinking, we're like, we don't want those things. That's, that's not good for us. That's not good for our family. That's not good for my faith. And yet we find ourselves being nostalgic for them sometimes. Do you see how complex this is? Okay, so let me just tell you where we're gonna go today. I want to confuse you and encourage you, okay? Uh, You know the job of a pastor is if you're here and you don't think sin is too much of a problem for you, then I want you to be very uncomfortable today. And if you're here and you're like, man, sin is a struggle in my life, then I want to encourage you in your journey. So the, the goal that I have is I want to afflict the comfortable and I want to comfort the afflicted, okay? That's what we're going to shoot for today. And we're going to do this by, by going through the discussion of sin and how we need to work out our salvation in relationship with God. If you're filling in the blanks, the first one, it, it talks about all sin being equal. And the terms that it is all equal is that it hardens our hearts. 
All sin. Teensy, tiny little sins. Sins that are just sins of our thought. Sins that are just little things. They, they're just little compromises. Little, all of it. Big sins. Big, massive, horrible sins, right? All of them, what they do, the Bible says they sear our conscience. They harden our hearts. And they, they start us on a trajectory so that if we keep walking that trajectory, we will end up concluding something about God's heart. Our hearts get hard because of sin, and then we conclude something about God's heart. Here's what we conclude. God's not good. We conclude God is a killjoy. All God has for me are rules. We, we doubt that he has any love for us. We doubt that God's plan for us is a good plan, a plan to bring us into the fullness of life and abundance and eternity. We doubt a good God. We doubt a good God's heart, and we conclude that all he wants to do is take away my fun. That's hardness of heart caused by sin, any sin. Now, can we be honest for a second? Sin can be fun, can't it? We should at least recognize that there is some payoff for our, our sin, that, that we get some pleasure from it, some, there, there's some happiness afforded, right? We get, we get something in return for our sin, especially on the front end. If there was no fun to drunkenness, right, then who would ever go there? If there was, if there was no sense of payoff with your self-righteous bitterness, would anyone hold on to it? If there, was, if there was absolutely no charge from indulging in a lustful fantasy, we wouldn't even call it temptation because it wouldn't tempt us. Right? So we have to recognize that there is some good thing, some positive thing, some medication we receive, some payoff that we get when we indulge in sin. We just have to confess it, right? However, all sin, no matter what it is, it presents a front, looks like freedom, and what it ends up is enslavement. It's a bait and switch. Sin, it, it just presents itself like, look how free, look how light, look how anything goes, and you start walking that pathway, and pretty soon, the prison you're in is of your own making. And so, in contrast to that, what God invites us into is holiness. Now, holiness is one of those church words. We don't use it very often in everyday language. It just means set apart. In this conversation, it means right with God. And there's, there's so much rest in holiness. And there's so much joy in holiness. There's so much peace in holiness, to have nothing between you and God, nothing causing distance between the two of you, nothing burdening you with shame, no guilt that you're dragging along behind you. That is just so beautiful. And that's what God invites us into, right? To be holy, to be blameless in his sights. That's the invitation. That's what Jesus came to provide. Look what the scripture says. Colossians 1.22, yet now, he, the he in this passage, this is God, God has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ 
in his physical body. As a result, look at this, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless. Circle that phrase. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This is what you're invited into in your trust in Christ is that God reconciles you to himself. He takes all the junk, he removes it, and in his presence, he sees you as blameless without a single fault. That's the invitation of God to you. All sin hardens our hearts. Here's what God wants to do. He wants to take you, remove it, and make you blameless in his sight. Okay, the next feeling. All sin is not equal in terms of human consequence. So, you just have to recognize sort of the reality that we live in. We live in, in a reality where all sin will harden our hearts, take us away from God's best. But it is true that there are some sins that create a bigger splash or create more impact in terms of social or human consequence. I'll just give you one example, but you can think of 10,000 on your own. Uh, here's the example. It's pretty crazy. Uh, genocide is a sin... And your internal rage is a sin. You're raging. That's a sin. Genocide, raging, they're both sin. They both harden your heart. Genocide, can we agree, has a bigger social impact on the world. It needs to be dealt with. Now, God wants to deal with both of those sins, but I'm just telling you, genocide, it's worse because there are all kinds of lives impacted in that reality. Can we be clear on that? So, Now, having said that, not all sins are equal in terms of their consequence. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to turn your notes over and and draw a little X, Y axis and start charting sins. Like, oh, this one, that's a big, you know what? If a sin is high on the Y and on the X, that's quadrant one. Those are really bad sins. But if a sin is, you know, it's high on the Y but low on the X, that's only a, that's a mediocre sin. You know, no, no, no. Here's here's what I want you to do. Fill in the blank, because this is very, very, very important. All sin is equal in terms of requiring the blood of Jesus in order to be forgiven. So, every sin, regardless of who it impacts, how it impacts in this social fallen reality we live in, all sin, in order to be graced, or forgiven, requires Christ to be crucified on Calvary. So here's what it means, and you might want to write this down. The first service had to write this down. I don't think they fully got it. It means this. There are to be no proud lesser sinners. No proud lesser sinners. What happens is we tend to think that our sins are okay and forgivable, but somebody else's sins, they're really gross, and there's no way God could love them or forgive them. We build these little, they're, they're you know, really shaky platforms. We say, well, the only thing I struggle with is gossip, so I'm fine to condemn you who struggle with something much, much worse, you know. No, no, no. You know, Jesus talks about that, doesn't he? He says, you shouldn't be concerned about the splinter in someone else's eye. 
when you got a telephone pole in your own, all right? So we just write, there's no proud lesser sinners. So we, we were humble in this journey, okay? And here's what the scripture says, Colossians 2. You were dead because of your sins. Not, you weren't like sort of ailing. You were dead. It's, it, the situation, no matter you know, how moral or upright of a person you are, without Christ, this is our scenario. We're dead in our sin. We're just dead in it. You were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Circle that phrase. Not some of them, not the lesser ones, not the ones high on the x-axis. All of our sins have been forgiven. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. This is why the cross is front and center. This is why the cross, we keep coming back to the cross. Why it is so important? Because without it, there is no antidote for our sin. But with it, all of our sin is forgiven. So I recognize it's a little confusing. On the one hand, what I'm trying to say to you is, look, there are some really gross sins in the world. There are the genocides, right? There's the huge injustice and the huge oppression and the huge wickedness. And not many of us are involved in those things. So you should be, you know, you feel a little good about yourself. But on the other hand, you're a sinner and all of your sin is gross. And you need Jesus to die on the cross for all of it. So you should be a little uncomfortable comfortable today, okay? So it's, it, I, I get it. I've said this before and I'll say it again. On your worst day, you're never out of reach of God's grace. And on your best day, you're never out of need of God's grace. We are all under the umbrella of his grace. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And, and so this does help when you're reading through the New Testament. I hope it does. And you're reading through the New Testament, and there are times you read Jesus is talking, and he makes it seem like sin is no big deal. Like he says, um, you know what, guys? The thugs and the prostitutes and the tax collectors are all getting into heaven in front of these religious people. And you're like, oh, so sin, it's not that big of a deal. And then the next moment, he says, if you lust, it's like adultery. And if you hate, it's like murder. So you better deal with those little things that you don't think are much of a problem, because they're a problem. And I hope you, oh, okay, so I, I, I get it. I, I get that um, if I'm comfortable, I'm being afflicted right now, and if I'm afflicted, I'm being comforted. Okay, uh, you know. Let me use an analogy that I hope sort of clarifies it because I want to take it to a bigger conversation. I want to take the issue one step higher. And the analogy is a sports team. So I'm going to use the analogy of being on a sports team, but it works if you were ever on a cheerleading squad, if you were ever on like in a, you know, uh, some crew, if you were ever played in an orchestra or a band, any, anything that had to do with cooperation of multiple parts, raise your hand if you had any experience with those things ever, ever. Okay, so you, most of us know sort of what a team looks like or a crew or a gang or whatever. So 
when I was in high school, I played football. And you, you look at me now and you're like, oh, you must have played left out. You know, like that's... But I, I had, um, I, I, I was three years on varsity football. Um, I was uh, two years, I was the first team all league. I was on the Hall of Fame Scholar Athlete for Orange County. I, uh, you know, um, if you go back to Mission Viejo High School any Friday night this fall and you go to a game in the program that you get, there's the Hall of Fame for the alumni of the school. And in the Hall of Fame, the name Howerton is mentioned for three different years. Uh, one year for my brother and two years for me. <laughs> I just, I love that. Uh, so, um, so, I, so I love football and that was my sport. I still love football. So here's, here's the deal. In, in my experience playing football, not every play did I play perfectly. Not even close. Not every game was a victory. So think, think about that. But I'm on the team, right? And did I want to play every play perfectly? Absolutely. Did we collectively want to win every game? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, we want it, so, so we try to learn from our mistakes. And what we would do is on Saturday morning, after Friday night's game, we would all go back to the high school. We'd jog a couple of laps around the track just to get the bruises kind of loosened up. And then offense would go into their classroom with their offensive head coach. And the defense would go into their classroom with our defensive head coach. And so that's where I would go. And we would watch game films. Now, I was telling my buddies this this week, and they had no experience of game films, so I just want to ask, by show of hands, how many of you have ever experienced the humiliation of game films? Anybody? I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. We will have you forward for prayer after the service, okay? Game films are incredibly instructive because they allow you to see the mistakes that you made in slow motion as often as the coach wants to show the team. And so we'd be watching, the, the coach of course would have the clicker and he would be watching the game and it would be going along and he'd be making comments, you know, guys, nice, this looks good. I like how you attack the ball, that's great. Way to go. Howerton, what are you doing here? <laughs> Howerton, what are you doing here? Howerton, do you see where the game is being played? <laughs> Howerton, the ball's over here. What are you doing over here? <laughs> do you realize the game of football actually focuses on the football? <laughs> Guys, let's help Howerton out. What's he doing here? <laughs> is he trying to date a cheerleader right now? What? Meanwhile, I'm under the desk, right? I'm like, oh, make the bad man go away, you know? So embarrassing. Now, let me just tell you, I don't think Jesus keeps a game film. Like, in fact, I, I think grace is that Jesus takes the game film and he throws it away, kind of a deal. And, and he just celebrates greatness and he, and he graces us where we're not great. I, so I don't I won't want you to think that, like that. Here's what I want you to notice, though. 
Regardless of how many mistakes we made and regardless of the losses that we had, we were a championship team. We, we won the championship. The coach really wasn't doing that so that we would fail or that we would be miserable. He was doing that so that we would get better and so that we would learn. Do you know, no matter how harsh the game, uh, the game film experience was, do you know he didn't kick anyone off the team? Hey, you made such a bad mistake, you're out. Never. When you're in Christ, you are on a championship team. When you're in Christ, now, you're not going to make every play perfectly. In fact, there's going to be some games that you lose. But you are on the championship team. He is not going to kick you off the team. No, instead, what is desired is that our hearts would be just like those football players, that we want to do well, and we want to succeed, and we want to make the right plays. We want to win the games. We want to. Why? Because we love God, our Father, who has invited us into this thing. Like, it's, a, it's such a beautiful picture. So I hope that helps a little bit. Yeah, the day-to-day -day struggles, the stumbles, yeah, they're a reality. It's a fallen world. We get it. Don't let that be the focus. Sometimes we get so sin management focused that we forget there's a bigger reality going on. Now, you're on the team, so play like it. Your team is a championship team, so let's play. Let's respond accordingly. Okay, that's the first analogy. Second analogy, and they, you got to keep them both in mind. The second analogy is the analogy of the broken bone. The broken bone. Okay. Several years ago, my daughter was playing on the jungle gym. This was after soccer practice. She fell off, and she broke her arm. I was out of town at the time, so my wife had the joy of dealing with that whole scenario, but what happened was her arm was broken straight through both of the bones. So it looked like she had a wrist here and then another one here. Now, I was out of town, so I came back into town quickly, and I saw her there with the broken bone, and I said, like any dad would, you're not strong enough. Let's start doing weights immediately so that that never happens again. And we started working out. No, of course not, right? That's ridiculous. You don't start demanding functionality when there is brokenness underneath. Now, of course, functionality is the goal, but you don't demand it until healing has occurred. Are you following me? So the first thing you do with a broken bone is you cast it, and you care for it, and you heal it. And then once the broken bone is healed, then you can go after functionality. I don't care how good a football player is. I don't, I don't care what kind of talent, mental talent, uh, mental toughness, physical talent, and acumen. I, like, it does not matter. If a football player has a broken femur, they're not going to be good on the field. Some of you, you keep getting tripped up into sin and you start falling into these shame-based conversations with yourself that you can't perform at a higher function when you've got brokenness underneath that you haven't dealt with yet. Let Jesus heal you first. Let him heal you. Experience the healing that you need. Functionality will come. 
This is why, you know, that, those bad dog messages that you hear, they, they don't do any good in leading us to the place that God wants us to be. So I want to tell you, when Jesus saves you, it is true that now you're on his team. But the word salvation is actually so much richer than that. And so I want you to see a video that sort of describes and encapsulates a little bit of what the word, every time you read the word salvation in the New Testament, what are they really talking about? Watch this video. I want to give you a definition for a word, and I'm, we don't use this word very often, so you might want to write it down. It's the word sozo, S-O-Z-O, sozo. It's a Greek word. We find it in this passage as well as many others in the scripture. It means salvation. It means salvation. And so, for example, if you want to read in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Sozo is salvation. Salvation meaning I once was lost, but now I'm found. I, I once was dead, but now I'm alive, right? The, the Bible talks a lot about this concept of salvation, how the love of God invades our life, saves us today and for eternity, okay? Salvation, sozo. But there are also two additional definitions, okay? Sozo means salvation, but it also means deliverance. That makes sense, deliverance. So when you read in the scriptures about Jesus casting demons out, say, that word deliverance, that word is also translated as sozo. So you can look this up in Luke 8, 36. It says, and those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well, or sozo, okay? Now, often we use this uh, metaphor of battle in our faith. We, we, we use it, and I think it's an appropriate metaphor to use. It's, it's biblical. But I just want to tell you, I feel it as, a, as just a human, right, as a man. I feel the battle. I feel the, the struggle internally sometimes. I recognize that the enemy and the flesh and the world come against who I am in Christ, and it feels like a wrestling match, right? It, it feels like th there's a battle going on. Can I get a show of hands? Anyone else feel like there's a battle? Yeah, and so what we want to do is battle well, and, and we want to stand even in the face of, of adversity, right? And so we recognize that. And that's absolutely true. But I also want to tell you, in one perspective, there really is no battle between light and darkness. When you flip on a light, it's not like the light begins a conversation with the darkness and then they start duking it out and then there's a wrestle match and then finally the light wins and the darkness flees. When you turn on the light, darkness runs. So you need to know that in our faith, on the one hand, we live in this fallen world. We have you know, these bodies that are corruptible. Yes, there is a battle going on. But on the other hand, the battle's won. Right? That God has no equal. He's not sweating some kind of cosmic war, hoping he wins. Okay? He's won the thing. All right? So you just got to recognize that. Deliverance, sozo. Salvation, sozo. I just want to declare to you, if you're in Christ, you are saved and you are delivered. And then there's a third definition. And the third definition is healing. Healing. And so, for example, in Matthew 9, 22, Jesus 
Turning and seeing her said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well, sozo. And at once the woman was made well, sozo. Okay, sozo, healing. Let me ask you a question. In heaven, how many diseases are there going to be? Right. In heaven, how many joints are going to be aching? All right. You, you, have to, you have to understand this, right? That, so we know what heaven's going to be like. Scripture tells us. So you have to understand that here and now, God has brought us healing. Our healing won't be complete until, right? And, and so we recognize the death rate down here is still 100%. But I want you to understand that there is a measure of healing that is for us that we are healed, that we are delivered, and that we are saved. These things are absolute, right now, realities for all of us. But to step into it requires faith, that we, that we have to have faith. Faith that says, pick up your mat and walk, and then you actually roll up your mat, pick it up, and walk. Okay? Now, in Christ, you're saved. The problem is, you don't always feel saved, do you? In Christ, you're delivered. The problem is, you don't always feel delivered. In Christ, you are healed. You're whole. We don't always feel like that, do we? And so what I want to encourage you today, even as we walk around this actual site, I want you to contend for your salvation. I want you to contend for your deliverance and contend for your healing. In other words, pick up your mat and walk in it. So even if you don't feel saved, you say, Lord, I know I am saved because I trust in you. And I'm going to walk in my salvation today. I don't know who that teacher was, but he was good looking. Uh, <clears throat> so that, that was at the, uh, the pools of Bethesda, John chapter 5. Uh, we read about that area. And that idea of contend for your salvation, contend for your deliverance, contend for your healing, I would just say another word about that. I would draw it out just a little bit more. I really mean it. I think that, that there is a deeper and richer measure of salvation that God wants for us, but we've got to intentionally seek him for it. We've, we've got to, to call out and to cry out for it. And, and I believe with all my heart, when you read in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That is true. So you claim it as truth. You own it as truth. You walk in it as truth. But I also believe that we can't do it on our own strength, which means you've got to, you've got to seek to be intimate with God's Spirit. You've got to contend, if you will, for that kind of intimacy. Seek him. Be intentional about it. Call, you know, even ask in prayer, Holy Spirit, would you please come and fill me richly today? Would you please guide my thoughts today? Would you please be over my decisions today? And just ask him and beseech him for that kind of intimacy. Because it's out of that intimacy that you and I experience with God that suddenly the freedom will begin to flow. And sin management will just fade into the background. The scripture says this, and, and many of you know this by heart. The Lord is spirit, 
And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so we focus and fight for intimacy with His Spirit, intimacy with Him, and then we experience freedom from sin, freedom from the things that that trip us up. Now, the last thing I want to say before we go into three quick action steps, the last thing I want to say is it all boils down to what your identity is. It really does. And we will talk about this at Overlake probably forever. So this is not the only time I'm going to say this. But either your identity is the things you do on your own and your sin is just you. It's just who you are. Or your identity is in Christ. And God calls you his son or his daughter. So you, you got to think about it. Who are you? What's your identity? Is your identity just the stuff that you do? That's all it is. It's your habits, your behaviors, your makeup, all that stuff. Is that all it is? Or is your identity by faith that you are a son or a daughter of God? Hey, what's the title of, the, uh, of, of God, God's title that's used all throughout Scripture? The, the most, it's used everywhere. Jesus uses it all the time. He teaches his disciples to pray using this title of God. It's Father. It's Father. So we get messed up on sin because we just don't understand the Father's heart. Friends, the Father loves you so much. You are so precious to him. And it's because you are so precious to him that he hates the sin that drags you down. He sees sin as a foreign contaminant, that it, like an infection that seeks to consume you, that seeks to drag you down, to trip you up, to hinder you. It's like, it's like grossness that gloms on to his most precious creation. So he hates your sin, of course he does, but he loves you because he loves you, he hates your sin. What kind of dad would he be if he said he loved you but then didn't care at all about the stuff that's destroying you? No, he hates that stuff because it kills. But he loves you. And he loves you so much he sent Jesus to take care of this sin problem. I was talking to my buddy Mark this week and and we we had this image of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. You see, when Jesus was crucified, all of your sin was in the future. And so here's Jesus, 2,000 years ago on the cross. And in faith, he takes all of our stain. You can just picture like this cloud of darkness leaving you and going into him. Every wrong thought, every wrong action, every selfish, vindictive, hateful, gross, greedy, lustful, slothful, every single thing that has ever caused you embarrassment, everything that has hurt you or hurt others through you, he draws it all out of you into himself and the penalty for sin is paid. Done. And the Spirit of God comes into your life and says, and you're made for more. So why don't we lift our heads and why don't we live free and whole and let's keep our eyes on the Lord. Three quick action steps. The first, very, very simple. The person whose sin you should be concerned about is? Yeah, it's you. Just you. 
I don't know if you've recognized it, but um, this is an election season. You probably have maybe heard something about it. <laughs> I, I don't care where you stand politically, really. Overlake is a place where anybody, regardless of political stripe, they, you come, find Jesus. Like, that's it, end of story. But here's, here's what I've noticed. One, one party wants to say, hey, our sins are really tiny, but their sins are really huge, Right? Let me, would you please write this down in the margin? Write down the word, no sin cops. We don't, we don't need any sin cops in the world. You don't need to be a sin cop over anyone else. You've got more than enough to deal with right here, okay? <laughs> Look, it, it's gonna require so much intentionality for you to walk in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, just you in integrity, uh, you don't have time to be anyone else's Holy Spirit, okay? So I, I really just want to encourage you. No, no, focus. Now, the only caveat I want to give is to you parents that are here, mom, dad, and you've got young charges at home. You actually are charged by God to be a good example for your kids to help nourish them so that they understand how to deal with their own sin. So, so there is a covering. That's the only caveat I'm going to give. But as far as any cause, people, group, we got to be, rah, 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 you know, no, no, no. No, you be concerned with your sin. Second thing, you see, the challenge is to be willing to change. Be willing to change. I mean, every one of us, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, all of us need to be willing to change. This requires humility. It really does. If you stand before the Lord and you say, God, I don't need to change anything about me, then I, I would be careful. Because the scripture says if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. But if you lift yourself up before the Lord, he will put you down. So I just want to encourage you in humility, be willing to change. Right? Be willing to change. First uh, Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Now, just for a moment, can I speak to those of you who, who have never placed your trust in Jesus? Friends, this is why Jesus is such a big deal. And I'm, I'm asking you to be humble right now. This is why Jesus is such a big deal, because he's the only one who takes your sin and removes it forever. He's the only one who offers you that rightness, that holiness with God the Father. He, he's the only one. God in his love and grace and mercy has provided the antidote for the world's sin. The antidote for your sin. It's Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you today, if you have never taken that step of faith, I want to encourage you to take that step, to place your trust in Jesus to understand that he is taking your sin from you forever and that there's no condemnation now because you're in Christ. Scripture says this in Romans 3.25, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. He's not one of many sacrifices. There's not, there's not a whole lot of antidotes. This is God's Answer, he presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Enter into that. And friends, if it's been a while since you've recommitted your life to him, make today the day that you rededicate yourself to living in intimacy with Jesus.
The last fill-in, very simple, very practical, be willing to get into a life group. And I just want you to know that when you're living in fellowship with a couple of brothers or a couple of sisters, when you're, when you're letting people kind of glimpse into your life and see how it is that you're making decisions and how it is that you're interpreting scripture and how it is that, you know, what's feeding into you and influencing your life, when you're living that kind of life, you're living a better life. It's a stronger life. It's a wiser life. There's a lot of support around you. I would encourage you to get into a life group if you're not in one. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And I want you all to be conquerors. I want you to be more than conquerors. Okay. The good news about sin. Recap. Have we done it? Have I made everyone either confused or afflicted or comforted? I mean, that's kind of the deal. That was the goal. The good news about sin, number one, is that sin is what Jesus saves you from. Number two, you and I, without Christ, we are sinners by birth and by choice. But because of Christ, we are saints. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's good news. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for the men and women that are here. I want to thank you for the family of Overlake. I want to thank you for those who are here who really do wrestle, who are wrestling with sin. Even now, the moment I started talking about sin, all they could see was the sin that is right in front of them, the shame that they carry, the guilt. Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move in their life today that they could see that because of their faith, because of you, that they are saved and they're delivered and they're healed. I pray right now that you would allow us to walk in those things. Lord, I pray for an incredible amount of encouragement in the family that we would lean on and live with one another as brothers, as sisters, so that we could experience the fullness of the life that you have planned for us. And Jesus, we want to take a moment and say thank you for being our salvation. Thank you for taking care of all of our sin. Thank you for inviting us to live a life of holiness with God our Father. We say yes to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>